0: Thank you for checking out our podcast here at Eastern Assembly of God Church in Baltimore, Maryland. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at www.easternassembly.org. Well, go ahead and pull out your notes if you will this morning. Um, there are notes in your bulletin. There are notes today on PushPay. And uh, if you saw that and you're quick to the draw, there are notes on tidly this morning. And uh, I don't know if you knew this or a lot, but you can actually go to the app, open it, and there are notes and actually fill in the blanks that you touch and just type in the answer right on your phone for those of you who would rather do it that way. So we are on a series, a summer series, which will end next week called Guardrails. And Guardrails is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Um, not this past week, but the week before, uh, I was with Luke at kids' camp. We had a great time at kids' camp. And uh, on some of the roads, our, our, some of the God kids' camp is in the middle of nowhere. Um, Abigail was with me, and uh, um, we, were, we were going, and some of the roads, there was a big creek at the bottom, there were no guardrails. You kind of notice that right away, like, let's stay on the road, right? And a couple things that we've noted in this series that I just wanna remind you of. First of all, guardrails are a good distance from the crash site. How many of you know if there's a 100-foot cliff, the guardrail's like not at the bottom of the cliff? We just wanna stop your car while you die. No, that's not the goal. The goal is that you would bump into it and it would get your attention, and it may do a minimal amount of damage to the car, but it will save you from death, right? And guardrails in our lives need to be a safe distance from the crash site so that that guardrail in place gets our attention. For example, let's say you have a guardrail that you pay off your credit card every month, and one month you put too much on it, and you realize you can't pay it off, and suddenly that, that guardrail that you put in place goes off, and you say to yourself, man, I can't put nothing else on that credit card till I get back to a zero balance. How do you know that's better than opening your credit card one day and realizing there's $27,500 on that thing? You understand? So so guardrails protect us. And secondly, we've made it plain that our current culture, much through advertising, baits us to the edge of disaster. And if you live on the edge of disaster long enough, what's inevitably going to happen? Yeah, you're going to crash. And so if ever guardrails were important to maintain your life of integrity with Jesus, it's today. Can you say amen? We have given this definition of a guardrail. A guardrail is a standard of behavior. In other words, something you lock in that becomes a matter of conscience. The Holy Spirit then helps you so that that thing goes off when you bump against it, which is better than crashing. Can you say amen? We have talked about guardrails in various areas. We've talked about guardrails in friendships. We've talked about guardrails as it pertains to physical contact and sex. We've talked about guardrails in your marriage. We've talked about guardrails in your spiritual life. And all of these messages you can watch or listen to on our YouTube channel, our website, on Spotify, on podcasts, and on our new app. You know why we have them in so many places? Say, why, Pastor? So it's easy for you to catch up on a Sunday when you're not here. Okay, so when you miss a Sunday, maybe that was the message you needed to hear. You still can catch up, say amen. 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 All right, so today we're going to talk about guardrails in your finances. and Let me tell you why this message is so important. How many of you believe that God wants your devotion? One, two three. And let me tell you why he wants your devotion. He wants your devotion because he is wholly devoted to you. Look at this verse. Jeremiah wrote this, the Lord speaking, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Amen. How many of you know when a, when a couple has been married for 60 years, that's a big achievement? In fact, I, I asked a couple today, I'm not sure where they are, where are the Sensels? I saw you come in. Where are you? Wave, wave at me. Somewhere. Where are they? I can't see. Oh, they're, they're in the back. Okay, right right back here. Jim and Pat have been married over 60 years. And uh, they're with us today. Come on, I think we ought to give them a hand. So, so that's, you know, you look at that and you say, man, that, that's awesome that, that their love has endured through whatever they've been through for 60 years. But listen, we serve a God who is committed to loving us forever. Forever. Me, you. Come on, somebody. How many have some unlovable traits? Come on, but he's but he's still he's committed to you. Okay? And so my devotion to God doesn't really just rest on the fact, well, he's God and I should be devoted. It's really about God's total devotion to me that ought to stir a wholehearted devotion towards him. Can you say amen? Let's write it down. God's devotion toward us should arouse deep devotion in us. So then that begs the question, what are what are some things that would steal my devotion or what is perhaps the number one thing that has the potential to steal my devotion to God or cause me more to be more devoted with somebody something else. And the title of today's message ought to give you a hint of what is probably the number one thing that steals people's devotion away from God. The answer to that is yeah, it's a struggle that involves money. That is why Jesus said these words, found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted, say devoted, there's that word, to the one and despise the other. Now Jesus could have put anything in there he wanted to, but he put that which has the biggest potential to steal our devotion. And he says this. You cannot serve both God and, help me, church, money. So the battle is, who are you going to trust? Are you, are you going to put your trust in a, in, a, in a green piece of paper who has men on it who you'll never meet and of which you can take none of them with it, with you? Or, or are you going to trust in a God who says, I'm Jirah? Your provider. Now, look, when I put it in that context, it makes it kind of easy. But the truth of the matter, where the rubber meets the road, it it really can be a very real battle. Are you listening this morning? Matter of fact, it's interesting. When when you talk about money in church, now, look, I agree. The the number one topic of every sermon should not be money. I I agree 100% with that, okay? But even if you preach on money once a year or even twice a year, Jesus talked about money often. You know why he talked about it often? Say, why, Pastor? because he knew the hold that money has on people. And the reason some people get upset when you talk about money in church is because when you start messing with their God, they get upset. When you start messing with that which they're devoted to, they don't wanna switch that devotion. Come on, somebody. I know it's hard truth, but I'm telling you the truth, all right? There it is, write it down if you will, there it is. The reason some people get upset when you talk about money in church is because you're messing With their God. But listen, we can't ignore this topic because my heart as a pastor is I want all of you to be wholly devoted to the only one who's worthy of your devotion. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. Now, as you're going through life, you are really either, most people are either a consumer or a hoarder. Now, those are harsher words than spender or saver because I just wanted to get your attention, all right? But, but listen. So, a consumer or a spender basically says this if it comes into my hands, it's for me to, to get something. And that money becomes a house, a car, it becomes a motorcycle, it becomes a, a Dunkin' Donut and some coffee. In other words, the money can, can, turns into a product, all right? That would be uh, the consumer or the hoarder or, or the spender, if you will. On the other hand, uh, there's hoarding or saving. And they say, well, man, I can't, I can't spend everything I have today. What about tomorrow? What about when times get tough? So, so they set it aside for, for, for a later day. And you know what's funny about the saver and the spender say what? They tend to marry each other. And uh, that creates its own tension in a marriage where one wants to save and one wants to spend. Okay, but let me tell you something they both have in common. Both the spender and the saver. If that's all you do, and that's how you live your life with everything coming in, either I'm spending it or I'm saving it. If that's all you do, you are living your life as if there is no God. Boy, it got real quiet in here. All right? See, both are fueled by one word, and that word is greed. Now let me tell you what's dangerous about greed. I have never met anyone in 36 years of ministry who has come for prayer and say, "Pray for me, I'm greedy." Because we all tend to justify our greed. In other words, uh, we don't call ourselves a you know hefty spender. We call ourselves a thrifty spender. I coupon. I look for bargains. You understand? And if you're a saver, you say, well, Pastor, doesn't the Bible talk about saving? And it does. I'm just, I'm just being wise. I'm not spending it all today. I'm wiser than the spender. So, so so we we tend to justify whatever habit is ourselves. The truth of the matter is we we don't tend to see it in ourselves. And you say, What is greed? Here's a good definition of greed. Listen, greed is the assumption that everything that comes into my hands, whether I earn it, or whether it's a gift, that everything that comes to me is for my consumption. In other words, if it's in my hands, it's for me or for for me and my family, okay? If you're still with me, say, I'm with you, pastor, okay? But listen, if you live under the assumption that it's all for your consumption, you're living as if there's no God. Not saying you don't believe in God, but I'm saying in the practical way you're living, all right? But listen. The bottom line is, you, you can't have money as your devotion and God as your backup plan. Come on, I, I know I'm shooting a lot of truth at you this morning, but just, just stick with me. In other words, uh, you know, well, you know, I come to church, put a little on the offering, and when I get in financial trouble, it's like, God, help, I need help. All right, God, God can't be the backup plan. If I say to you, how many of you want, God to be Jireh, your provider. I mean, we all want that. All right, I think we all want that, right? We want heaven's windows open up, all right? Um, but your father says to you, look, I wanna be your provider. I wanna be Jehovah Jireh. I want you to trust me. Give me your entire devotion and see how devoted I am to you. So we say, well, pastor, what what can I do that would show God or reveal to God that I am wholly devoted to him even in the area of my finances. Thank you for asking. And I'd like to take you back to a story in the Old Testament, just to set this up. And that story goes back to Abraham. At one point, Abraham's nephew, Lot, was captured um, by an army and taken away, and Abraham took a group of men to rescue Lot. And God gave Abraham a, a, a mighty victory, and not only did Abraham bring back Lot and all the others who were captured, but he brought back all the stuff that all these people had. I mean, he brought back all of this stuff. And on his way back, he ran into a guy by the name of, thank you, Melchizedek, who the Bible says was a high priest or priest who had a heart after God. And here's what Abram did. Then Abram gave him a tenth of Abraham, of everything, all right? So, So what did that reveal? That revealed that even though all of that was in Abram's hand, he could have said, hey, if it came in, it's for me. But he recognized there's a God in heaven, and he said, you know what, I'm gonna open my hand, and I'm gonna give a tenth back to the Lord through this priest Melchizedek. How many of you understand that? Okay? So the key to showing that God, you are wholly devoted to God and not greed is following this simple principle. Three key words, and here it is. Say first give, then save, and then live. No, we're not telling you not to save and not to live. We're just telling you that can't be all that you do. Not if you're gonna put God first, okay? How many believe Jesus needs to come first in all things? Okay, so so give, all right? So when you get paid, the first thing you do is give, why? Because it's a way of saying to God, God, I will not be ruled by money, you, are first. Come on, somebody. You still get to do two and three, but they're no longer number one. Because there can only be one number one. Amen? So really, listen, giving is the key to putting Jesus in first place. Now listen, I got saved when I was 18 years old. I was between my first and second year at Penn State. I got a really good job at a paper company, uh, earning a good amount. I needed to earn a lot of money because I was paying my own way through college. It would have been easy for me to say, but God, I just can't. I mean, college is expensive and I'm paying my own way. But I knew when I got saved, I never heard a sermon on it, I didn't hear a message like this. I just knew in my heart that God had to be first in every area of my life, including my finances. And I just trusted that if I would give to God first, God would make a way with my, my Penn State bills. So I, I started tithing. I'd get my paycheck, I would tithe one week. At that paper mill. I worked 75 hours. You know what excited me the most when I got the paycheck? Man, I get to give God a lot of money. This is awesome. Come on, somebody. How many you know giving shouldn't be a drudgery? Yeah, whose is it anyway? Yeah, I mean, I mean, God would have the right to say, give me, you know, I want 99, you live on one. But, you know, God, God asks enough just for it to hurt some, but enough that causes you to say, God, I'm gonna trust you. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. All right, so a guardrail in my life, I hope it's in your life, I give first, then I save then I live what's left over, period. But you say, Pastor, I can't afford to give. Let me tell you what you really can't afford. Are you ready? Okay? What you can't afford is to live as if there's no God. That's what you can't afford. You can't afford to stand before God someday, which we all will. And, he, and him say, you said with your lips that I was number one. But in the way you lived your life, there was another number one. God help us to see it this morning. How many of you have ever heard of of Dave Ramsey? Huh? Dave Ramsey, all right. And I think I'm missing an answer here. Let me catch up. It's it's amazing what God does when you put him first. Does it take faith to put him first? Yeah, and and Dave Ramsey, uh, he heads up Financial Peace University. We actually started that class here and uh, then had to stop because of COVID. We hope to do it again. But he basically says the same thing, man, give first. Let the Lord know that you're putting him first. Then save and he advocates quickly saving a thousand or two dollars so you don't have to rely on your credit card the first time that, that you get into it. And it's amazing how God helps you when you decide to do it his way. I'm gonna try this out. It's amazing how God helps you when you decide to do it his way. It really is. All right. How many of you have ever seen a commercial that, that advocated for your financial independence? You know, you know what that normally means. They want you to get involved in whatever they're selling or their program so that in hopes that you'll earn so much money that you'll never have a problem again, right? And they might say something like this, you know, you'll give like you'll never be able to give and you're like, oh, that'd be be great. But but that is not really what financial independence is. Financial, if that were true, then people who were really rich would be content. Huh? You, You ever wonder why Jeff Bezos, the guy who heads up Amazon, just doesn't retire? I mean, he's worth billions of dollars. Because financial independence, that kind is not the answer. Greed has no end. You know what real financial independence is? Say, go ahead, pastor. It's living without money as your God. It's being independent from the hold that finances have over most. You're independent because money is no longer your God. Now God is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Because you're putting him first, then he steps in and says, because you've put me first, I will make a promise that I will take care of your every need according to my riches and glory. And he's got plenty of them to do it. Can you say amen? amen? Amen and amen. So financial independence is not having more money than you know what to do with. It's living independently of greed. It's no longer having money as your God. Amen? All right. Let, let, me, let me begin to wind down by taking you to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus said these words. Therefore I tell you, do not worry. Say, do not worry. About your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Think about how crazy it is to lose sleep over green pieces of paper with men you'll never meet that none of you can take with you. But we tend to. And God says, I wanna be your provider. Listen, I've told you the story, but for somebody new. So I was pastoring a church in Michigan when God called our family to move from Michigan to the inner city of Baltimore, where I pastored an inner city church for six years. Uh, when, we, when we were contemplating this, one of the things we knew was that the, that, that church did not produce enough finances to, to live on, that we were gonna have to have outside help. And we actually said yes to come before we knew what that outside help was. Why? Because put God first, he promises to be your provider. And I've told you the story, I don't wanna repeat the whole thing, of how in a service, a man came up and said, look, I want, I'm giving you my solid gold Rolex watch. Sell it and give the money to, to your ministry. Listen, I never had a dream that someday was gonna, God was gonna, some guy was gonna come up to me and give me a solid gold Rolex watch. I'm more of a Timex guy myself, I just have to tell you, all right? Uh, but I was the proud over of a, of a solid gold Rolex watch for one day and, until we sold it. But how does that work? How, how does God open the windows of heaven as your provider? He does it, listen, when you just simply do this. Listen, instead of this, your posture, if, instead of living under the assumption that it's all for your consumption, you go like this. Say, Lord, if it's in my hands, it's because you put it there. Yes, and, and I'm gonna be open-handed. And as you're open-handed, God in heaven says, give and it shall be given. Now listen, listen. listen. I'm not one who says like this, you know, give a dollar and you're gonna get a hundred back. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't believe it's always that way. But I believe God's generosity to you is bigger than just money for money. It's health. It's his hand on your family. It's his protection. It's so much more. And I want God to be open-handed with me. So I am open-handed with him. Come on, somebody. Are you listening this morning? Then he says, moving on, for the pagans run after these things. Now the pagans, he's not talking about the motorcycle gang. It wasn't around at that time. All right. He's talking about people who don't know the Lord. People who don't know the Lord, what do they know beyond having the assumption that it's all for their consumption? They don't know there's any other way, right? He said, He said. people who don't know the Lord, that's how they live. But then he says these words, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Man, that ought to be comforting. God, do you care? We need food, we need a roof. God says, I know. He knows, come on somebody. He knows and he cares. And then in those verses, I'm not going to read them, but I'm just going to tell you what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. I picked the two cans. they always kind of like two cans. So look at the birds of the air. Where do they get their provision from? What about the animals? What about so many things? God says, Look, look, if I take care of them and you are at the top of the list of my creation, my family, my sons and daughters, how much more? Am I going to take care of you if you will just trust me? And then he ends with these words. But, somebody say but. But. In other words, this this is what you have to do. But, in other words, if you want the promise to be yours, you need to listen to this. But, seek first, say first, first, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, so what happens if you seek second or seek third? Crosses out the promise. Promise has a condition. The, the condition is seek, seek first. And then he'll step into the role of being your provider. Let me let me just make that practical, how that works for Rachel and I. So when I get paid, I go to our church app, which is gonna be changing. In fact, I, I gave my first time through Tidely this week uh, just to see how easy it was or how hard it was to set up. And it's kind of one of those, the hardest thing is getting it set up. Once it's set up, it's just easy. It'll be much like push pay. All right, everybody with me? So I get paid, I tithe, we give heavily to missions, we give to the capital campaign, all right? And, and so we give to God first, and the promise is, give first and God will be your provider. Thank you for somebody who's listening to the message this morning, bless you, all right? Now, now listen, I, I don't say this in any way to brag, or, or I'm, I tend to be somebody who doesn't put this stuff out there, but just, just, to, just to help somebody, all right? You, maybe you wonder how this works in our life, all right? Uh, And In large part because we're giving also to the Capital Campaign Beyond Missions during this season. Over the last couple years, we've given away over 25% of our gross income. Now listen, I don't know how that works. If I were to sit down and try to figure out ahead of time, I'd say there's no way we can do this. But we do it, and then God just helps us. Because he promised, put the kingdom first, and he'll be your provider. Now I don't necessarily advocate you start there, start somewhere and let God build your faith, all right? So here's what I believe, all right? Not only does giving break the power of greed in my life, because I'm giving to God first, but listen. It taps me into the eternal. And here's what I mean by that. If everything that comes to me either turns into something or I save, when I leave this earth, what do I take with me? Yeah, nothing. But when I give to that which is eternal, in other words, let's just make this practical, all right? part of your giving helps to pay for the staff here, so that our staff has a salary. Some of that staff is moving on to other places, Pastor Chris in Victoria, but because you've invested in them, as they form this leadership school, and students go to the leadership school and go into ministry, you're sharing in that. And someday somebody's going to come up to you and say, man, you know, I went on to be an evangelist and win many people to the Lord, and you had a part in that. And you're going to be like, what? I don't even know you. And they're going to say, yeah, but God revealed to me that you were generous, and your generosity God turned into my call. And I believe that. Come on, somebody. I'm looking forward to meeting people in heaven because we invest heavily in missions, and God gets that out to missionaries. And and I'm looking forward to meeting people from all over this world who say, you had a part in my being saved. I'm going to weep and cry and hug them. It's going to be wonderful. And listen, I, I look forward to that more than I look forward to buying something new on this earth. No, no, listen, I bless you. If, you. if you come next week and say, I bought a new car, I'm gonna be like, that's wonderful. You probably needed it. Nothing against, but notice the order. Listen, here's the order. First give, then save, then use what you need on yourself. And I believe if you'll do it God's way, God will, will he promises to be your provider. Can you say amen? You know, you know and I cl- I'll close with this thought. The things in life I regret are the things that when God asked me to, to, to open my hands, and I kept them close. In other words, and and what, what I rejoice the most over is what I've opened up and given away and what God has done. And that leads me to this verse, Jesus' words. He said this. This is for somebody here today. If you try to hang on to your life, you will what? You see, not only do people assume that, Monday, m- that money is for their own consumption, many people assume that their own life is for their own consumption. I'll do with my life what I want to do with my life. Who is God to tell me what to do? Excuse me. The one who put you here? When you ran from him, the one who sent his only son to die for you shed his own blood? You know, you know I, I, I was listening to a message this week and, and, and I, you kind of knew this, but how many know sometimes things just, just become real to you? And he said, you know, there's only gonna be one marred person in heaven. Hey, you know, when we get to heaven, uh, um, even if someone's missing a leg, that leg's coming back. In other words, God God is gonna make them, make everybody perfectly whole. But you know who the only marred person is in heaven? It's Jesus. Some of you read my post, you're, you're okay. Because those nail scars will be upon his wrists for all eternity as a reminder of the price that was paid so that we could be saved, so that he could become our God and become our Father. Come on, I'm trying to help somebody here today, somebody in this place today. uh, You're holding on to your life. And Jesus say, you're holding on to what's not even yours. I'm the one who gave you life. I'm God who, who sent my son for you. Surrender to me what's truly mine and watch what I'll do. Come on, I told you I was 18 years when a friend invited me to a service like this. And man, that day, I was under so much conviction. Man, my, my heart was like in my throat because I knew I was living life for myself. And that night, I, I just simply said, Jesus, from this day forward, I surrender my life to you. I'm living for you. You know what I count the two greatest days of my life? Say what, Pastor? The day I was born and the day I was born again. How, how many of you would agree? Wave a hand if, you, if you'd be in agreement with that. The two greatest days of your life. And I believe today, but obviously if you're here, you've already been born, so you already got number one down. But I believe somebody here to do today, this could be your number two greatest day of your life when you're born again. Come on, would you bow your heads and hearts with me this morning? Listen, God uses the preaching of his word. And the Holy Spirit takes those words and then cultivates it and works in your heart to bring you to a point of decision. Now, the decision is in your hands because you have a free will. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the wisest thing you could ever do is to return your life to to the one who gave it to you in the first place. If you try to hang on to it, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose it, in other words, if you'll give it up for my sake, Jesus says, you'll save it. And I'm looking for somebody here today that feels right now what I felt some 42 years ago when I was sitting where you're sitting, hearing a message something like you're hearing. And that day I responded and said, you know what? Today, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus, and I did, because he gave his life for me. I'm looking for somebody this morning that says, Pastor, today, in this moment, I sense God tugging in my heart, and I'm going to respond, and I'm going to lay down my life for Jesus. And if that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, but it's just a way of saying to God, God, right now, I'm surrendering my will to you. I'm looking all over. Thank you up in the balcony. I see a hand. Is there somebody else this morning? I see a hand here. Come on, somebody else this morning. Well, this isn't about committing yourself to me, committing yourself to Eastern Assembly of God. This is about returning your life to the one who gave you life in the first place, to the one who loves you with an everlasting life love that says, I want to commit myself to you for all eternity. But God can't commit himself to that which isn't his. Looking around one more time, somebody say, Pastor, today's the day I'm going to surrender. Listen, for the sake of those who raised their hands and for the sake of those that I could have missed that raised their hand, for those who raised their hand, I want you to pray with me and everyone else is going to join you just just, just to, to, to encourage you, to support you. And I want you to pray this prayer. It's not so much the prayer as it is what's happening in your heart right now while you pray. I want you to say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. That you rose again so that I could be forgiven and be your child. So right now, I open the door of my heart and I say, Jesus, come in. I surrender to you. I say, have your way in my life. And with your power, I will live from you, for you from this day forward. And let me just pray, Lord, do it. Do it for those who raise their hands today, God. Do in them what you did in me. You're no respecter of person. Transform their life for your glory. In Jesus' name. Now, you can look at me, church. This is how I want to close service today. Since today's message was really about devotion, who are you are going to be devoted to? I'm going to give everybody the opportunity just in a moment to come to this altar and just say to God, God, I want you to know this morning that I want to be wholly devoted to you. I want to be yours, God. I don't want there to be anything that's number two, number three. How I many of you know we live in a day when there's a lot of distractions, a, a lot of trails off that road that leads to heaven? But would you just get out of your seat? Can we just spend some time around these altars before you go your way today. Just saying to God, God, I know there's a lot of distractions in this world, but Lord, I want you to be at that number one spot. I don't want anything to get in the way. Would you help me, God? Would you touch me, Lord? And God, with your help, I want to seek first, first, your kingdom and your righteousness. And then watch you add everything to that. In Jesus' name.